after last week's message, you know, I'm kind of thinking, you know, when, when we're in a church like, like, like ours and you don't, and we, we, we walk in the gospel, we walk in the new kingdom realities, and we see people in Christ and not according to the flesh. A message like we're, we're currently teaching, this is a little different teaching. Um, you know, we are charismatic. We believe in signs, we believe in wonders, but we are also charismatics in the way that the Apostle Paul was a charismatic. He, he showed up, he says, I didn't show up just with flattering words, but with power of the Holy Spirit, right? right? So we believe in signs and wonders. We believe in miracles. We believe that, that God does the impossible every day, right? He adds His super to our natural. Amen? But also, the Apostle Paul was able to go to Mars Hill and debate the philosophers of that day. He was able to stand before kings and debate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? And, and so often, we, we can get into the, the supernatural of God and not depend on Holy Spirit for the wisdom of God and the understanding of, of God. And they have to merge. It's, it's, it's Holy Spirit and the Word that goes together. You understand that? If all you have is Word, I heard someone say that you dry up. And if all you have is Holy Spirit, you blow up. Right? Have you ever met one of those people? Well, I don't, I don't need the Bible. I got Holy Spirit. No, it, com it comes together as one. It, it's married together. Right? And who is the Word of God? Jesus. And, and what did Holy Spirit come to reveal? Jesus. Right? So this, this is a little bit different teaching. We have to understand how... Our society got to where it is. And in, in a church such as ours where we, we live in the freedom that is in, in Christ, and I hope all of us are awakening to, to seeing each other in the kingdom, in the new creation, rather than in the fall. Too, too often the church has created its government and the way that it does things according to the fall. Not according to Christ. The reason why God gave the law was because of the fall. If the fall never happened, God would have never had to give the law. Right? And, and so... so I questioned myself, you know, am I on the right track, all this? And I was on social media, and I mean, lo and behold, uh, a uh, post comes up from, from a, a lady, and she says that our church is looking for a new youth pastor. So first of all, understand, it's the woman that is posted on social media that takes the time, is concerned about their church and their children, right, having a new youth pastor. And I just read some of the comments down through there, and one of them says, well, why don't you do it? And she said, oh, I'd love to do that, but women pastors are looked down at in the church. <laughs> Come on. So the Lord was letting me know that I'm not off track. I'm not off track. This, this is more prevalent than, than you know. 
And it might not be spoken in some of the churches that you, you're in, as other churches that I've been in, that it's spoken very firmly, this, this type of belief system. But there is a, there is a unspoken, subconscious idea. And we have to understand where this comes from. Because this is one of the arguments that the world has against the church, against the Bible, against Jesus. And they're, they're ignorant to the truth. And unfortunately, the church is also ignorant to the truth. And, and what we've seen in last week's teaching, we've seen that in the beginning, before the fall, we've seen God's perfect plan. And God's perfect plan was to cr- create a man and a woman in His image. Right? And in that image, in that partnership, He gave them both authority over this earth. Right? And they were commissioned to rule together in this royal partnership. And, and, and we talked about how God uses partnership all the time. Do you know that there's hardly anywhere that God even partners with people? That there's hardly anywhere in the Bible that you see God doing something independent of a partner in the earth. He had Moses. He had David. He had Elijah. He had John the Baptist. Right? He had Gideon. He had Mary. He had Esther. Think about that. God is a God of partnership. And, and, and that's what the church is. The church is a partnership. We are one body but many members. And we come together as members and create a whole and we partner together to show the world what the kingdom of God looks like. What Jesus looks like. So if this was the plan... If this was God's plan, how did we get to where we are today? How, how, did, how do we get to where there is this idea of, of sexism and this idea of um, that we're not equal and, and, we, and that God puts others over authority of, of other people? Where do we get this idea from? How, what went wrong? And that's what we're going to be looking at today is what went wrong. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of every fruit of the trees of the garden, but the tree of the fruit of of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in that day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. In verse 6 it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband that was with her. And he ate. See, the Bible says very little about Eve. But what it does say, we need to pay attention to. 
See, along with her husband, Eve was called to, by God to rule the earth. This means that Eve was a queen. As a matter of fact, Eve was the mother of all kings and queens that ever entered this world. Think about that. Even the king of kings, Jesus Christ, came from Eve. That kind of might give you some idea in that weird scripture that says women are saved through childbirth. It's not that they're saved from having kids. They're saved because Jesus Christ came through woman, a child, birthed by woman. It has to do with Jesus. Well, anyways, but Eve was the queen that fell along with her king husband, Adam, who was right with her when all this was going on. See, Eve cannot shoulder all the blame for the fall of what happened. The serpent prevailed because the husband-wife partnership failed to recognize the danger they were in. And there's a reason why God gives us partnership. It's very, there's very few times when two are together that, that you can be led astray if both are believers, if both are seeking God. It's, 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 it, most, for most Christians, they're not led astray until they leave the body. When someone leaves the body of Christ that, and they're off on their own, that's when deception happens. Because we weren't created to be individuals. We were created to be in partnership with one another. And we live in, we live in a society that, that's always talking about being a self-made person. Independent. And, and there is, we are responsible for our, our own choosing our, and our choices in life, but God created a family so that we could care for one another, that we could correct one another, that we could encourage one another, and we could protect one another from the deception of the kingdom of darkness. I mean, you could actually say, because, because they failed in their partnership, they didn't, they, they, they didn't understand, they didn't realize the danger that they were in. They were in. And you could say that, that Queen Eve, at least she tried to refute the liar. At least she said something. That's kind, of, that's kind of like our society today. It seems like the women are the ones that are standing up and saying something. Eve said something. She tried to refute what Satan had to say. But she was acting alone. And she was no match for the cunning of the serpent and was deceived as Adam remained silent. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, it says, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. These are God's words of what the fall would produce. These are God's words, but this was never God's plan. Do you understand the difference? 
God's plan was what was happening before the fall. This is because of the fall. God wanted Adam and Eve to, to rule together. He wanted him to rule with Eve, not over Eve. You know, that's the reason why God took a rib from him, Adam. He didn't take a, he didn't take a foot bone from Adam when he created Eve. Because then men would think they could walk all over women. And he didn't take a head bone from, from Adam when he made Eve. Because then women think they were above men. He took a rib. Because that's the way it was meant to be, side by side. Right? And men, just so you know, that wasn't no ordinary rib. That wasn't a spare rib he gave Eve. That was your prime rib he gave her. Amen? Amen. But now, so we see that this fall happened. And, and they were supposed to be, in Genesis 1, they were ordained to be kings and queens. But in Genesis 3, they lost their crowns. We lost our crowns. The divinely ordained partnership between men and women was dissolved by selfishness and sin. God offered us abundant life, but we chose death instead. As a result of the fall of Eve, Eve lost her identity and she lost her voice. She went from being co-ruler to subject. Why? Because of the fall. i got to really say this because it was pointed out to me that you could really cut up my message and make me say some things that sound real bad. It was because of the fall that this happened. Not because it was God's will. Right? Because of sin, she went, she went from being co-ruler to subject. And because of sin and living in a fallen world that it produced, God says, your desire will be for your husband. From now on, Eve would find value in the aid she gave to men in her life. Why? Because of the fall. Her self-worth would, be, would come from being a good wife and a hard-working mother. He will rule over you. And that's what we've seen throughout history, isn't it? We've seen men ruling over, over women in terrible fashion. When, he, when God says that Adam would rule over you, that means that Adam would have the last word. He would have the last say. They would make the decisions and write the rules. They would create history while their wives would support them. Again, this was not God's will. This is because of sin. Ask yourself if the views you've heard line up more with the fall or with God's plan. The fall of humanity was the worst thing that had ever happened to us. And God created, God created us partners, a partnership of equals, but sin sent our world spiraling into self-destructiveness. So here's the question. Is the Bible sexist? Is the Bible sexist? You hear these things. People say these types of things. Academia, right? You know, and some people actually reject the Bible based on a belief that it promotes a male-dominant worldview. Statements such as this, the Bible is oppressive to women, it reinforces patriarchal stereotypes that view women as inferior. 
Here's the thing. There is a measure of truth to this. Take some laws from Israel. Israel had laws that permitted the kidnapping of foreign women and prescribed conditions under which a rape victim could be compelled to marry the rapist. That's found in Deuteronomy 21, verses 11 and 14. These are scriptures you don't hear in church. It's also found in Deuteronomy 22, 28 and 29. Under the law, a, Mary, a, man, a man could overrule his wife or daughter's vow. That, that's in Numbers 30, 3 through 15. And an impoverished father could sell his daughter as a concubine. That's in Exodus 21, verse 7. And according to the law, only men could work as priests and serve in the temple. That's in Numbers 8, verse 24. But here's the issue. Here's the issue. You can't reject the Bible because it provides an accurate portrayal of patriarchal cultures. It's, it's, it, it, it's giving you a raw understanding of the society in which it was written in. It doesn't cover it up. You understand that? The Bible also champions the role of women. It honors female as, females as pioneers and leaders. The Bible empowers and elevates women in many ways. The fall of man created a patriarchal system, but it was never God's plan. Consider God's Ten Commandments, right? The Fifth Commandment, honor your father and your mother, both parents worthy of equal honor. Do you understand that, that in the society that, that this was given, that was, not, that, that was not how most societies seen women? Do you understand that? This is God speaking here. And then you got, or the fourth commandment that institutes a day of rest for your son and your daughter, for your male and your female servant. Again, equality with God. See, in an age where women was considered property, God defended their rights. Treat your mothers like you treat your fathers. Treat your daughters as you would treat your sons. Can you see God's heart in trying to keep somewhat of His plan in this fallen world? So why the inconsistencies with these, this, um, Israel's laws? Why does the Ten Commandments uh, promote e equality and the other 600 plus different laws promote discrimination? Because the world is not as God planned it to be. It's a mess. See, what God gives, men take away. Because they're fallen. So is the Bible sexist? No. But fallen humanity is and the Bible portrays this. The ancient Israelites were patriarchal, but so was everyone else. 
But where does this modern view of women come from? Where does our modern view in Western civilization, where do we get our view of women? It was from a group called the Athenians, the Greeks, the philosophers. See, what they did is they polished up the idol of patriarchy, of patriarchy and they made it respectable. And what they did is they taught the world how to oppress women and laid the foundations for corrupt Christian worldview. So who were these teachers? Who were these teachers? You, you, you're going to know these teachers. Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, Alexander the Great, Jesus. Why did I pick these? Because MIT did a study. They did a study, and it's a running study, on the most influential people in history. And in this study, the way that they do it is they, they look at web views, like Wikipedia and stuff, and they measure, they measure the web views of looking at um, people's biographies, right? And by counting the number of views on certain individuals' biographies, they're able to see how much influence those people have on, a, on society, right? So MIT reported that the most influential person in history was the Greek philosopher Aristotle. And second was Plato. And third was Jesus. And fourth was Socrates, followed by Alexander the Great as the fifth. So why is this significant? Because of these five people in which our Western society has been most influenced by and our view of women have, 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 has been created from these individuals, four of them believe that women are inferior to men. And those four are what Harvard and Ivy League schools put on a pedestal as the most intelligent and wise of them all. The Bible teaches that women were made in the expression of God's love. The Greeks had a different perspective. They believed that Zeus created women to punish uppity men. Men were becoming clever and needed to be taken down a peg so that, so the gods created women to harass and trouble men. <laughs> See, that, exactly. I, that's, what, that's the thing is, is that... <laughs> women are cunning and deadly, said the Greeks. They are the ultimate cause of suffering and heartache. They are the source of all evil. Hmm. Here are some quotes. Homer, you guys have heard of Homer, right? Yeah, Homer Simpson. No. He said, since women are deceptive and dangerous, they need to be ruled by a firm male hand, and a wise man gives law to his children and wives. Notice wives. 
Homer lived about 800 years before Christ, and his words would have been lost if it was not recorded by the Athenians. And the Athenians provide us with the most influential philosophers of Western civilization. Unfortunately, the church has been more influenced by the philosophy of men than of Christ. This guy. Xenophon. Xylophon? Xenophon. He says, he said, since God has made women's body less capable of such endurance, I take it that God has assigned her for indoor tasks. He was the first person, he was the first person to ever say that a woman's place is in the home. And many misleaded church men have a, would agree with him. Then you have Plato. He that has lived his appointed time well shall return he that has lived his appointed time well shall return again to his abode and his native star and shall gain a life that is blessed and congenial but whoso has failed therein shall be changed into a woman's nature at the second birth so he basically is saying that in the second life, if you are lazy and you don't live a life well lived, men will become a woman. But if you do live a life well lived, you'll, you'll, be, you'll stay a man. Aristotle, the male by his nature, by nature is superior and the female inferior. The male ruler, rule, the male ruler and the female subject. This is, this is Aristotle. These are the people that, that the intellectuals of our day hold in high esteem. Aristotle also said, tame, animal, tame animals have a better nature than wild, and all tame animals are better off when they are ruled by man, for then they are preserved. Again, the male is by nature superior and the female inferior, and the one rules and the other is ruled. This principle of necessity extends to all mankind. See, it takes a special kind of intellect to say that women is a, are, are substandard humans and that they're defective by design. Plato and Aristotle may have been intellectual giants, but when it came to the topic of women, they were dumb and dumber. Alexander the Great, he was tutored, tutored by Aristotle, and he exported the Athenian model around the world in a process known as Hellenization. The Greeks were under that Hellenization, right? So you had this, or the, Greek, the Romans were under this Hellenization, and so you now had the Romans and the Jews at the time of Jesus. These two philosophies, right? We have to understand, you've got to understand that, and then Jesus shows up. You've you got to understand what it was like when Jesus showed up. The thought pattern and, and what people thought about women. Alexander the Great was tutored by Aristotle and, and he was known for this Hellenization. He was conquering civilizations. He, he thought cities were the, were the highest 
form of humanity, and he would bring in this, these ideas and, and transform these civilizations into this Greek philosophy and way, way of thinking. Um, if you ever wondered why the New Testament is written in Greek, you can thank Alexander the Great. So you had the Gentiles with their Athenian philosophies and the corrupt Jewish religious leaders of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that believed the following at the time of Jesus. The birth of a daughter is a loss. That's amazing to think. When the Savior of the world came through a daughter. Whoever teaches his daughter the Torah teaches her lasciviousness. Man's wickedness is better than woman's goodness. A woman's voice is nakedness and one may not speak to her. In other words, that you're not, if, if you're not married to the woman, you shouldn't even speak to other women. A man may sell his daughter, but a woman may not sell her daughter. Women's wisdom is solely in the spindle. And that means the, the sewing and making yarn and fabric and stuff. And then the last one, Blessed are you, O God and King, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. This was the thought process when Jesus appeared on the scene. In the midst of a world filled with such hostility towards women, God sent woman's greatest gift. Jesus. Jesus began his earthly ministry by listening to a woman. Do you know that? See, what, you, what we have to do is by understanding the, the error the er, er, error that Jesus appeared in and the, and the thought pattern of the society and the world, you need to go through the New Testament and look at every interaction Jesus had with a woman and understand how what a rebel he was against culture. Jesus' ministry, his, his ministry, when he revealed himself, his glory for the very first time, was by listening to a woman. The woman, Mary, Jesus' mother, said four words. She said, they have no wine. They have no wine. In John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, On the third day they were at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and, his, and, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. They ran out of wine. We ain't going to go down that, the morality of all that. But anyways, Verse 4, Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? There's a reason why Jesus said what he said the way that he said it. There's a reason why Holy Spirit made sure that John recorded it this way. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were 
a set of six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he, he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests are well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good until now. There's so much, there's so, I can't go down all the imagery in, in that. But anyways, in verse 11, this, be, this beginning of signs, of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and, and manifest his glory and his disciples believed in him. See, this is a great story. But if all you see is the wine and the wedding, you miss it. You miss it. You have missed the significance of the woman. See, Jesus responds to Mary. And, and I, in the past, I will always read this and I will always think, that was kind of rude sounding. It was kind of abrupt and short with her. And the reason why it was that way is because that's how culture talked to women. She actually had no right to tell the man to do anything. Jesus' response to Mary was not, don't worry about it. I was already planning on making wine. He didn't say, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Right? No, instead he chooses words that draw attention to both her lowly status and influence. He, he calls her woman and tells her it's not the right time. And then he goes and does what she suggests. See, we are left with the impression that the miracle in Cana, Canaan was entirely Mary's idea. That Jesus was never planning on doing that miracle. Think about this. That Mary's the one that compelled Jesus. Jesus was basically saying, woman, because you, you said it, I'm going to do it. This was at a time when, women, when men did not listen to women. This was some start to the Son of God's ministry, wasn't it? Think about this. By choosing to reveal Himself in response to her words, the Son of God effectively made Mary a partner with His ministry. This wasn't the first time that Mary was made a partner in God's ministry. She was told by the angel that she would bear a son. And she says, how can this be? And he, he said to the Holy Spirit, and what did she say? Be it done unto me as you have said. One of the things that Jesus did when he came to earth was empowered women. And this was the start to, to Jesus' ministry. And he chose to reveal himself by, by 
effectively making Mary a partner in his ministry. He heeded her. He heeded her. God heard her. He followed her lead. He did what she said to do. He made sure that John recorded the story so that we would never forget it. And Jesus, when he came to earth, he empowered women. He empowered women like unlike anyone in humanity had ever done before or unlike anyone in humanity has ever done since. Because all the empowerment that women have today was authored by Jesus. So would you like to know the ways that Jesus empowered women? Would you like to know how Jesus brought God's plan of partnership back to humanity? Yeah? No? Okay, then you've got to come next week. We're going to take a look at that next week. We're going to look at these situations in the Gospels of Jesus interacting with women. And, 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 and you, how he broke cultural norms. He broke cultural norms. I mean, think about it. The very, do you know who the very first person Jesus revealed himself to after, resurrect, after he raised from the dead? It was a woman. We, as a church universal, we have to forsake these Greek philosophers and these Greek understanding that has come, that we have, we have interpreted the Bible through those lenses instead of through the lens of Christ. We have to see what Jesus said about women in all aspects of life, not just women, in everything. We're, we're, we're focusing on women because we're coming up to Mother's Day, right? For me, when I was a kid, my mother was, was the number one influence for Jesus in my life. Later in life, I think a lot of it had to do with promise keepers and stuff, my dad became more and more outspoken. Praise God. But I am what I am today, I believe, because of my mother. Because she wouldn't keep her... She wouldn't, she wouldn't remain silent. Listen, church. We have over half of the body of Christ that we've used scriptures to manipulate, to control, and to make, make them feel like they're second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. We need to start looking more like Jesus. We need to start seeing each other as kings. We need to start seeing each other as queens. We need to see, start seeing our, each other as equal partners in the work of the ministry. We need to preach the gospel to women, not just in this house, but into every area that you, that you, that you meet. We need to speak up, men, and correct, correct the false ideas. 
We need to we 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 need to we need to know the truth. And we need to correct when that bondage of the fall is trying to keep the church in in bondage and in, in, in captivity. And women, you need to start speaking up. And you need to start seeing yourself as Jesus sees you. And you need to start seeing Jesus elevating you to who you are in Him. You, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. There's neither free or bond servant. We are all one in Jesus. May we be one. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the word. We thank you for Jesus that came to set us all free. And Father, we, we just ask that you would pull the blinders off our eyes of this corrupt philosophy of fallen men and that we would see the world as you see it, that we would get back onto your plan, that we have been, been delivered from the fall and the curse, and we have been set free in Christ Jesus. May we, the church, manifest your kingdom and your will in the earth. May we be the answer to what the world is struggling with right now. The liberation of women. May we be the forerunners of that. Because it's found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. For it is in Him that we are complete. It is in Him that we all find our identity. And it's in Him that we all have been made one. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for this great awakening. We thank you for your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we receive this now by faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.